Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. So, if you have your Bible, go to 2 Peter, and we'll get there in just a minute. We'll get to 2 Peter in just a minute. This morning, I want to talk about Jesus, Savior. Jesus, Savior. We've got a couple more weeks before Easter Sunday morning. And uh, we're going to celebrate that day, but we should be celebrating Jesus every day, every day. Amen. But as we lead up to that, uh, we just want to take these next few weeks and, and focus on not only what Jesus did for us, but who he is and who he is to us. Amen. And so when you talk about Jesus being a savior, we have to understand uh, that in order for Jesus to be our Savior, or in order for Jesus to be a Savior, period, someone needs to be saved. Amen. There needs to be a people that need to be saved. And so this message of Jesus being a Savior is a key truth in uh, the Bible message. It's a key truth in the Christian message. Not only is it a key truth, it is the truth. It's the foundation uh, the resurrection is the foundation of the Bible message. And I know a lot of us know that, but you may be a person that says, hey, you know, listen, I didn't ask for this. You know, people tell me I need a savior. The Bible says I need a savior, but how do I really know that I need a savior? And so we know that if you go back to the beginning, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, and he gave the instruction to Adam and to Eve, that you can have anything you want, anything you want in the whole garden, which was their world. So basically anything you want in the whole world, except to eat of this tree, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, when we hear that, a lot of times people think, well, God just didn't want us to have knowledge. God's trying to keep something from us. In fact, that's how the enemy tricked Eve and Adam into eating of that fruit by saying that will you surely die you know making her think and making him think that god is trying to keep something from them he's trying to hold something back when the opposite is true god gave them everything that they would ever want he was not even keeping knowledge back from them they had all of the knowledge that they would ever need except for one piece of key knowledge which it was imperative that they did not have they did not uh, and it wasn't just that he was trying to keep that from them, but he was actually not only doing them a favor, uh, but God was actually establishing something in mankind when he said, you don't need the knowledge of good and of evil. And so we can't say that God was trying to keep knowledge from us, because if you think about it, Adam could not have named all of the animals in the world without knowledge. He couldn't have called, he couldn't, he, you know, no one gave him a list to choose from. He just, God said, you're going to name them all. He just called them out, bear, giraffe, gecko, whatever it may be, monkey. He, he called them all out. It takes some amount of knowledge to be able to do that. And so God was not keeping knowledge from mankind. Rather, he was saying, I want you to depend on me. 
Because we say, well, why did, then did he say, hey, listen, uh, you know, uh, why are you trying to keep the knowledge of good and evil from me? It's because when you're with God, it's all good. As a friend of mine used to say, it's all good, baby. It's all good. You know, when you're in the presence of the Lord, it's all good. You don't need to worry about there's a difference between good and evil. It, you're with God. So, and he's altogether good. There is no evil. And so that's what we have to understand. Our perspective has to change on why God didn't want us to eat of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And, the, and God told Adam and Eve, and thus all of us, you eat of that fruit, and the day you eat of it, you will what? Surely die. You will surely die. You will surely be separated from me. And so once they ate of that fruit, our destiny was set unless God would intervene. Our, we had a destiny to be separated from God for eternity unless God would intervene. That was our destiny. But God knew it. He knew it ahead of time, and he would intervene. And this is where we get the gospel. And, you know, a lot of times we, we hear the, the word gospel, and we think about the gospel of, um, you know, salvation. Because we're talking about Jesus' Savior today. But actually, if you look in the Bible, when you see the word gospel, and you see the gospel of, it'll say the gospel of the kingdom of God. Certainly, salvation is included in that gospel message, but the gospel message is not just salvation alone. The gospel message is the gospel of the kingdom, and we're going to see what that means to be a savior, to be a savior. This is how the disciples, the apostles identified Jesus after his resurrection, once they knew who he really was. Look here at 2 Peter chapter 1. Chapter 1 of 2 Peter, I'm only going to look here at a couple verses in 2 Peter, and then we're going to look at quite a few other verses real quick. But this, this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 says this, Simon Peter, a bondservant, and that just means that he, he was doing it willingly. He was a servant willingly. He wasn't a slave because uh, he was made to be a slave. I'm bonded together with you, Lord. He's a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. He says, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us, how? By the righteousness, by his righteousness. We didn't uh, come up with this faith on our own. This like precious faith that we have with other believers is by the righteousness of who? Our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so when we read that, that verse right there, that verse one, you may look at it and say, think that Peter's talking about the Father and Jesus, but that in the, in the original text, that's one continuous line. Like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is both God and Savior. And then if you look at verse 11, it says, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom. Now look how Peter uh, describes Jesus, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we see here that Jesus is both God and Savior, and he's Lord and Savior. He's qualified to be our Savior. And so when you talk about mankind's need for a Savior, we go back again to, to Genesis 2 and 
how God created mankind in his own image, male and female. It says there in Genesis 2 that he created us in his own image and gave us his very essence, meaning that he breathed the breath of life into Adam and Eve. And guess what? He breathed the breath of life into you and I as well. And so you look at that and say, well, you know, that's what I was destined for. You know, I've heard people say, let's go back to Eden like it was. And uh, it's not our destiny to go back. Our destiny is to move forward. God's got something even better for us if you believe that, if you believe it. And you may say, well, uh, you know, I, I have an issue. You know, people in the world will say, I have an issue with this. Here's why I don't go to church. Here's why I don't serve God. And the reason is because I never asked for any of this. I never asked to be uh, born in sin. I never asked to be separated from God. If there is a God, they say, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't choose that. And so why should I need a savior? Let me, let me read to you Psalm 51, five. This is, this is what David had to say. Uh, Psalm 51, five, very popular verse of scripture. I'm going to read it from the living Bible because I know most of you have it memorized already. But David says this, he says in the Living Bible, he says, but I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. In other words, in, in iniquity, in sin was I born. I was shaped in iniquity and in sin was I born. Psalm 51.5, he says, I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. Now, you may think that David is using this as an excuse, but I want to tell you, I don't believe David is saying this is an excuse for me the way that I am is because of this. He's not using this as an excuse. He's simply confessing his sin to God, and he's using the fact that he was a sinner, uh, and he's just acknowledging that fact. He's just saying, this is what it is. You know, it's interesting to me uh, how uh, many of us uh, will go along with how we were born. You know, there's so many things, uh, so many attributes, so many characteristics that were given to us uh, that we must accept. You know, you didn't choose what color you were going to be. You didn't choose the race you were going to be born into, what country you were going to be born. You didn't choose what family uh, you were going to be born into, although there's probably many people who wish secretly they were born into a different family maybe but guess what you didn't get to choose that you you are who you are you did not get to choose if you were male or female god made you that way we could go on about that but i won't get on that right now uh, you didn't get to choose all of those things and so what we do as a people we assess where we are and we say well i just have to go from here i was born this way and so where can i go from here we accept that accept the fact accept the fact that we were born in sin. That's also a fact. Just like you were born male, just like you were born in the Jones family, just like you were born, whatever it may be, you were also born in sin. You didn't have a choice. It's just the way it is. And thereby, you need a savior. And I need a savior. So in that same way, we had no choice. We had no choice. And so you'll see King Solomon acknowledged this in Ecclesiastes 7.20. Look at what he said. He says, this is amazing. He says, for there is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. He didn't say there's not a just man in Israel. 
There's not a just person in Russia or Asia. There's not a just person maybe on this island or on in Australia. He, he said there is not a just man on earth, nowhere on earth. That includes, uh, you know, undiscovered islands. That includes every part of the earth. There is not a just person anywhere on the earth. Why? Because we were all born in sin. We were all shaped in iniquity. He said there's no one who uh, doesn't sin. Everyone has fallen short. Paul acknowledges this. Watch this in Romans 3. Uh, I'll read, start at verse 9, and then I'll skip on down to 23. Uh, this is a popular passage as well. Paul acknowledged this. He said this. He said, what then? Are we better than they? No, not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one for emphasis. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. No, not one. He's emphasizing that there is none. And then down in verse 23, another popular verse, another popular verse, for all have sinned, you know it, and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of that glory. So we see King Solomon here acknowledging there's nobody good. There's no one on the whole earth that hasn't sinned. And then Paul backs that up in the New Testament by saying there is none righteous. No, not one. We are all, all in need of a Savior. All of us need it. But unlike those other characteristics and attributes that we were born with, you know, God has provided a way for us to do something about it about being born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Because the Bible says there was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So you and I can do something about it. Here's what we have to understand about Jesus, Jesus Savior. Even as Christians, we have to understand that it is a priority for God to forgive. It's not a side thing that he does. God's not, he's, he's not there trying to accomplish a purpose and he's saying, well, you know, if you sin, oh, now I got to stop what I'm doing and come over here now and deal with this and you set me back and now we can get going again because I've forgiven you. Forgiveness is part of the plan. His mercies, why would you think that David would say his mercies are new every morning and his mercy endures forever, not ending? Why? Because it's a priority for him to forgive sin. I wonder what our priorities are. I mean, we say that we want to be like Jesus. We say that we want to line our will up with him. Not my will, but your will, Jesus. Just like you prayed for when you prayed to the Father. Not my will, but your will. We want to be that same way. We say that we want to have the mind of Christ. Well, guess what part of the mind of Christ says? It says that forgiveness is a priority. It's a priority and it's not in your nature. It's not in my nature. You know, it's in our nature to really look down on people. You, we don't admit it, uh, but it really is in our nature. You know, Dietra and I, I were watching a show the other day. Uh, she was just kind of watching it with me. It's one of my favorite shows. I don't know why, but it's, uh, 
I think it's untold stories of the ER where people come in the ER with all kind of, uh, you know, ailments and different things and, uh, you know, things happen on this show that are just amazing. And so these two brothers came into the ER, African-American, and they came from a rough part of town uh, in this city. And uh, as soon as they came in, uh, the one brother had a terrible injury and they thought it was a gunshot, but they weren't sure exactly what it was. And the other brother uh, came in and had to see his brother and the police came and, you know, they were, uh, they just assumed a lot of things about these two brothers. Turned out that it, it was an accident that happened at home with a fan. And uh, these two brothers actually uh, ran a camp uh, for young boys. And so they were trying to do good. But my point is the, the nurse even admitted it, admitted that uh, as soon as they came in, he looked at what color they were, he looked at what part of town they were from, and automatically just assumed the worst. Probably a gunshot, no telling what's going on, we need the police, you know, and he admitted it. And so, but, but it's not just him, all of us are that way. We're predisposed to judge, you know, based on what we see with our eyes. That's how we are. But you know what? Jesus is predisposed to forgive, if I can say that. He's ready and waiting with mercy to forgive. Now, I need not tell you that we can't take advantage of that. You know, Paul goes into that a little bit later in Romans, in chapter 7. They always say, we know that. So we, we're not here to take advantage of his grace and his mercy. But he is there, ready to forgive no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've been through. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. God's priority is forgiving sin. Matthew chapter 9, verse 2 says this. It says, Then behold, they brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Watch, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine? I don't know what these men were thinking who brought the paralytic to Jesus. But I know if it was my friends and I, we probably would have looked at each other and said, that's not why we brought him to you. You know, he's a paralytic. Why do you think we brought him to you? He needs to be healed. But what? Jesus' priority is to forgive sin. His priority is to forgive sin. And all he wants you to do is come to him. And he's ready to forgive. But because the Pharisees questioned him and to show and to prove who he was, he said, take up your bed and walk. And he was healed from that day forward. But his, but his priority was first forgiveness and then healing. Come on. And watch this, Luke chapter 7. I won't, I won't read all of this, but you'll, you'll remember this story. Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's house. This Pharisee, you know, he, maybe he said, look, I see what this guy's doing and, uh, you know, in the city, and I want to see what makes him so popular. So I'm inviting him over for dinner. So this Pharisee, invited Jesus over for dinner. And uh, he, he, when he got to the Pharisee's house, he came in and they sat down, probably laid down at the table, uh, as was the Jewish custom uh, for dinner. And what happens? A woman comes in, and not just any woman, but the Bible says a sinful woman. This is Luke chapter 7, verses 35 to 49, if you want to read it. Luke chapter 7, verses 35 to 49. A sinful woman comes in. So it's interesting also to me that the Bible would point out that this is a sinful woman because we just read where Solomon said, there's none uh, on the earth that are good and there's no one that doesn't sin. 
And then Paul later on verified that by saying, none is righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory. But they point out here that this woman was a sinner. She was a sinner. Okay. And she brought in this out, this flask, this alabaster flask. You know the story. She brought in this alabaster flask with oil and she made her way over to Jesus. And she bowed down, knelt down at his feet. She began to cry and her tears fell onto his feet. And she washed his feet with her tears and she wiped it away with her hair. She began to even kiss his feet. And then she took the oil and she rubbed it all over his feet. And the Pharisee sitting there, maybe he said this to his friends, maybe he thought this, he said, you know, this guy's supposed to be some kind of prophet. But if he was a prophet, he would know, and he would realize that this woman is a sinner. First of all, you're not a sinner. Yes, you are. But anyway, he would realize that this woman is a sinner. Well, Jesus knew what the man was thinking. He knew what the man uh, was saying. And so he addressed him. And he didn't just say, hey, person who invited me over. He called him by name. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, say it. What do you have to say? He said, there was a certain man and he had a couple of guys who owed him money. Now, one guy owed him $500, 500 denarii, and another 50 denarii. He realized that these two guys could not pay their debt, neither one of them, not the guy who owed him 500 denarii, nor the guy who owed him 50. Neither one could pay their debt back. So the guy just decided to forgive their debt you know what, just, let's just wipe it away. Neither one of you can pay. I'm not going to get it from you. So let's just wipe the debt away and we'll call it clean. He said, who do you think loved the man more? In other words, who was more thankful? Well, the Pharisee, Simon, said, I suppose the one who owed 500 denarii. Jesus said, yes, you, you answered correctly. And he said, look, do you see this woman here? She has many sins, but she has been forgiven much. Look at her. You, when I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, yet she has not stopped crying on my feet and washing them since I came into the house. You didn't kiss me. You didn't kiss me on the cheek to greet me, any of that, yet she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't offer me any oil for my head, yet this woman, this woman here, you see, those who have many, many sins are, are forgiven much. But here's the thing about the mercy of God. Here's what you need to know is that no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, and I'm talking to those who don't know Christ, and I'm talking to those of us who know Christ, who, who, who confess Jesus with our mouth and who believe in him with our heart. I don't care what you have been through or what you have done in your life. His mercy is big enough. It's broad enough to cover it all. It doesn't matter if you just committed one sin yesterday and that's all you're asking for forgiveness for. It doesn't matter if you've committed the same sin since you were seven years old and now you're 40 years old. Every day, it doesn't matter. His mercy is big enough to forgive that just like it's big enough to forgive the one sin. It doesn't matter. We're the ones who judge and would say, boy, it's going to take a lot to forgive that one. 
you know, or we're the ones who are in the situation saying, God, I, I don't know, I'd have to do something before God really forgives me. I mean, this is, this is a lot, uh, you know, ever since I was seven. And, and now I'm 40, 33 years, I've been doing the same exact thing every single year. But you underestimate the mercy of God. His mercy is so great. It is greater than any sin you could ever commit. It is greater than any shortcoming that you would ever have. Why? Because where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. Not only can you not beat God giving, but you cannot outsin his grace. And we know it's not an excuse to sin. If you think that, then you're thinking wrong. <laughs> and God's going to chastise you. He's going to give you a whooping, that's for sure. Uh, but you need to understand that no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you have been through, his mercy is here for you. Even if you know him, even if you've been to church, even if you've been to the altar, even if you've worshiped for a time, but all of a sudden you find yourself falling short uh, those things that so easily beset you. Guess what? His mercy is new every morning and his mercy endures forever. Why? Because Jesus is our God and our Lord and our Savior. Being a Savior encompasses all of those things. He didn't save us to leave us on the side of the road. He didn't save us so that the first time we mess up, he'll say, you can't get in anymore. He didn't save us so that when we fall short, even over and over again, uh, he would leave us. He said, I will never. He didn't put any conditions to it. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. His mercy endures forever. And so three quick things that we need to know. First of all, God's priority is forgiving sin. I don't know if you have a, a pencil. You might want to jot that one down. You might want to put that in your notes on your phone, but you need to understand not just that God, you know that God forgives sin. I know that most of you know that, but his priority is forgiving sin. That's what you need to understand. He makes it a priority. His priority is forgiving sin, just like he, he did with the paralytic. And just like he did, uh, you know, when he talked to this woman, by the way, at the end of this story in Luke chapter seven, Jesus looks then to the woman and said, woman, your sins are forgiven. That's what he said to her. You want to know why? Because she came to him. She came to him broken. She came to him repentant, right? She was already part of Israel. She was part of the chosen people, but she had fallen short and she had sinned much. Even, even Jesus acknowledged that he knows how much she sinned. But just like that, he said, your sins are forgiven because you came to me. So God's priority is forgiving sin. Number two, understand this. God allows us to belong before we change. Belong before change. I know there's a saying out there in, in, in church, belong before you believe. I, I don't know about that. I mean, you need to believe. You need to believe in Jesus. Uh, there's a lot of emphasis on believing, okay? But belong before you change. Because th these, these religious leaders often criticize Jesus for who he hang out with, who he ate with, you know, because in that culture, meals were a symbol. Meals meant something uh, back in that culture. It was a symbol of friendship. It was a symbol of acceptance. And what surprised others was that Jesus ate with people who were messed up, who were sinful, and who were far from God. And, you know, this, this is really where Jesus got his reputation, uh, you know, because, it, the, listen, the Bible says Jesus was a friend of sinners. 
He's a friend of sinners. It's part of his identity. Uh, it was his reputation for being a friend of sinners. If you imagine God's having a kingdom party, right? And the Pharisees uh, only want to invite those who are socially acceptable, the morally upright citizens of the day who keep the rules and appear very, very religious. You know, uh, th that's who they want to invite. Jesus, on the other hand, watch now, he invites everyone. All are welcome. It does not matter. It does not matter what you've done. All he wants is a relationship. And there is room at his table. There's room at his table for you and for I. Jesus knew and acted like holiness or right living uh, resulted from a relationship with God. Too often, we feel like that holiness and right living uh, is a requirement to have a relationship with God. But no, Jesus is saying holiness and right living is a result of having a relationship with me. And I think too often we look at, you know, what, what God does, what God does, okay? God is, uh, you know, we, we respond to an altar call if we're in church. Those in church are familiar with that. We respond to an altar call or we, we, we get baptized. And, you know, that makes us feel good because we, we've met a requirement that Jesus said that we need to meet. Here's what I want you to understand this morning is that salvation is not a, a, a process that we go through. Salvation uh, is not a plan that was set up. Salvation is a person. And I know you're thinking, yeah, salvation is a plan. Listen, listen, salvation is a person. Salvation is Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm saying. When my wife and I uh, first met and we began to date, she had a little apartment with a friend of hers. And uh, her and Angela stayed in this little apartment. And I remember, uh, you know, maybe she would invite me over for dinner or uh, come over and I'd pick her up and we'd go out or whatever it may be. Guess what? When I went over to her apartment, I was going to her apartment. But guess what? I wasn't going to see the apartment. Yeah, I was going to the apartment. Where are you going? I'm going over to Dietrich's apartment. But I'm not going for the apartment. I'm going to see her. Jesus says, listen, answer the altar call, get baptized. You must do all those things, but it's not about the baptism. It's so that you can know me. The salvation is a person. Salvation is someone that we must believe in. And all that we do leads up to having a relationship with Christ and not just doing things. Christianity is the only, and I won't even call it a religion, but for lack of a better word, it's the only, it's the only religion, quote unquote religion, that uh, it's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about uh, enlightenment. It's just about a person. It's about him doing everything and us accepting that, us believing him and accepting that. That's what this thing is about. That's why Jesus is savior. He is our savior. He's our savior. And then the third thing that we have to realize is our only requirement is to believe. It's our only requirement. So here, here's, here's the thing. Here's what a savior is. Here's a savior. Now get to these three. Here's a savior, one who saves by delivering, preserving, healing, and providing. He does all of those things. And yes, salvation comes exclusively and completely from God. Jesus is both God and savior. Listen, that's what qualifies him to be savior because he's God and savior. He's one with God. He is part of the Godhead. He was there at creation. He's the word that created you. So he's qualified to be savior. Titus 2, uh, 13 says, looking for the blessed and hope and glorious appearing of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. 
Joel 2.32 says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, come on, shall be saved. Old Testament, the name of the Lord. And then watch Acts 4, 10 to 12 says this. It says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by, by Nazareth, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by him, not the process, by him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone talking about Jesus, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there, any, there, nor is there salvation in any other name. There is no one other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so then we see that our requirement is simple. Our requirement is only, only to believe. John 8, 24 says this. It says, therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so this message is not just for those who are, um, you know, away from the Lord. This message is even for us who know God. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me, you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. His, listen, even if you're in church, especially if you're in church, you may say, well, I know better. I know better than to be in the situation that I'm in. But here's what God is saying. Even though you're in it, it doesn't matter. I'm still saying, just like I would say to that woman who sinned much, I would say to you, come to me, come to me. And if you would come to me, my priority for you is forgiveness.